my goodness gracious, everyone. It is another beautiful Monday here in the tundra, (laughs) 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 the upper Midwest. And this, of course, is the SCORE Minnesota Opera's podcast about opera, classical music, pop culture, uh, as seen through the lens of folks from the global majority and thoroughly (laughs) queer (laughs) uh thoroughly queer folks i am your host rocky jones i am the equity diversity and inclusion director here at minnesota opera and as always i'm here with the amazing paige reynolds civic engagement manager hi paige hello there hi and back from his his convalescence. <laughs> <laughs> it's our dear friend, Dr. Lee Bynum. Hello, Dr. Lee Bynum. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I am feeling so much better. Oh, good. Um, I'm so glad. <laughs> thank you. Don't believe any of the hype. This alleged mild COVID is not cute. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> absolutely not. But I, we were talking about this last week and I was like, anybody who says that this is mild is somebody who has never had to deal with a chronic yeah. illness. It's yeah. just ableism at its finest. Yeah. Um, but Truly. I'm so happy that you are, are feeling better. And Paige, I know you weren't feeling great either. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it was... I was one of the folks who was lucky lucky to experience uh, uh, mild symptoms in my body. Um, not saying that this is mild at all. I was I feel <laughs> extremely lucky and blessed that that was the case. Um, and then for some reason, I decided, you know, we just went through that. Let's go ahead and get our booster instead, oh, and yeah. not even booster. No, kind of forgetting about the part where the booster would give me some of the same symptoms as mm. the COVID itself, oh, and would result yeah. in a couple more days of discomfort when I just experienced that like a week or two ago. So, you know, in retrospect, maybe I would have given him a little more time, but (laughs) (laughs) But I'm good now. Um, It's all good now. I feel back to normal. Because I can't remember, did I tell you all on here about when I got my booster? Like the, day be- so. like the day before Halloween. So. Did and- it take you out? It took me oh, out. Oh my goodness. I didn't really have any side effects in my body from the original two shots, just, you know, like a sore arm. But like with the booster, I was like, I don't think I've ever been that tired mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. I could barely lift my head up out of bed. I was just super foggy, super just, completely out of it and of course we that night went and um had dinner with some friends and at one point um my friend Miggy is sitting across the table from me and she just starts snapping her fingers like are you are you here (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like what Uh, what?" and I came back from wherever it was it was but it was it was wild and I was just like if that's anything like how my body would react to COVID, I'm just going to stay here in my basement bunker for the rest <laughs> of my days <laughs> until this is over because I did not want that. For real. I was like, I can't do anything more severe. 
have already experienced. I would absolutely, even if I recovered, I would be a drama queen. I would be pissed. Um, <laughs> the good thing about the experience, though, is that like the clinic that I went to, y'all, it was so like friendly and there was oh. no way it was on. If you know anybody who like needs a vaccine or a booster shot, send them to Community Clerk care clinic on the north side of minneapolis um i believe it's black owned um and when i was in there it was like all people of color working there i barely even realized the nurse had given me the shot because we were just kikiing and talking (laughs) and i was like oh we're done like oh she's putting the band-aid on that means she already did it like Oh, that's how you gotta do it though yeah it was so so nice and it was like nice because my like partner didn't like really want to go and he was like (laughs) we we, neither of us really wanted to we were like oh needles again oh symptoms again but they made it pleasant so send people to community care clinic yeah okay well and if there's a if i can find a link i'll put it in the show notes yeah good idea because we all maybe do for booster number two if um the word on the curb is right. And I, my first one, my first regular shot, dose number one, Pfizer, was fine. The second one, I got a little sick. The booster took me out, mm. but still none of it was as bad as actually being sick. Mm-hmm. So like seeing like this, the way the stages progressed and um, we had a bit of exposure in um, among my siblings and our spouses, despite the fact that everyone is double vaxxed and boosted, and there were eight of us, and the it was like eight different stories. You know, there were some folks who weren't sick at all, and then other folks who got really sick. I never actually got a positive COVID diagnosis. I just got a suite of COVID symptoms for a week and a half, which I'm just going to go ahead and call COVID because, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, It sounds like to me like COVID. I mean, I'm just... (laughs) But it was interesting because, like, um, the in some instances, like, one of my siblings would not get sick, but their spouse did. And, like, there was kind of no rhyme or reason to it. And as you all know, my sisters are identical twins. And the fact that one of them got it and one of them didn't. And they spend an absurd amount of time together. Wow. <laughs> um, so I feel like there's still a lot about how the transmission works mm-hmm. that we don't really know. And, you know, diagnosing things is always sort of a precarious kind of guesswork sort of thing. But you know seeing it in action and seeing how it looked um you know it was just absolutely crazy i think the one relief though is that my mom who's a cancer survivor did not get sick at all and that had been yeah seriously that had been the thing we'd all been so worried about and then you know everybody's calling her she probably got eight calls in a row poor thing and she's like, I'm completely fine. And y'all can stop <laughs> And all of you go to bed and drink some juice. So. My family was the same way. I kept checking in on them. Like, okay, anyone else had symptoms? And they're just like, girl, this is just you. We're fine. Like- <laughs> go to bed. Right? Leave us alone. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess it goes without saying at this point, but if 
you haven't already. I don't think you want this. So please, <laughs> please go get your, your vaccine or your booster or both. Because um, this this Omicron is not, it's not something to play with. Not mm. at all. Omicron, Deltacron, Mm-mm. any of the little alphabets out here you no, know what all of fraternity row don't want it. Marianne touching everybody <laughs> <laughs> and then you add that to the fact that it is literally two degrees outside mm-hmm. and and it does kind of feel like is this what the apocalypse is supposed to look like because if it's not <laughs> i don't know what is <laughs> that would be mean like the apocalypse in the middle of winter mm-hmm. that would be mm-hmm. that would be especially cruel but you know i guess with what we've all done to this planet it'd be what yeah. we deserve yeah. <laughs> yeah mother nature is through with us and i i can't imagine any other fact that seems more consistent with what i've been reading like the the tsunami um warning that the west coast had mm-hmm. a few days ago after the i think it was a volcano in in tonga and it was just like oh do we have tsunamis in the united states well i, I guess we do and are we prepared for it we are not no. so it's just mm-hmm. an interesting kind of a moment where we are all so distracted by pete davidson that we can't even like focus <laughs> on the world coming apart not right pete davidson <laughs> <laughs> yeah kanye's out here just wiling isn't he i though? can't even we just we didn't really, I, I i had to stop i had to yeah. stop i just yeah. had to stop because i couldn't Anyway, I, I, <laughs> I definitely agree with the read when they say he's on the sick and shut in list. Yes, and yes, that just means we, yes. it is what it is. And we gonna pray for him. We all keep him <laughs> in our prayers. Good Lord. And those, those babies. Yeah. They have a lot of kids, don't they? I, like I feel four? like I stopped counting after one got named Chicago and I was like, okay, done. <laughs> I forgot. I just know the they're incredibly cute. <laughs> They are very cute. They're very good looking. (laughs) Well, today uh, marks the first of three episodes um, that we're going to do um, that focus on uh, the composer Joseph Ballone, aka Chevalier uh, de Saint George, um, who is was a black composer from the 18th century. Is that correct? I that is correct. Know. Okay, good. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of his pieces, The Anonymous Lover, um, we will be um, mounting it opening at the Ordway um, this Saturday. Um, could not be more excited. The first time that Minnesota Opera is doing um, a piece by a Black composer, which is kind of crazy to say in 2022. But, you know, it's exciting nonetheless. And we Um, should probably add the tag on the main stage. Yes, on the main stage. Because we've had some educational and some, certainly the miniatures, but definitely the main stage, which is still a huge deal for us. Absolutely. Um, And so we are going to have over the course of the next three episodes, all sorts of guests, um, people who are involved with this production, um, you know, 
uh, we'll have some music, we'll have some historians on to talk about Joseph Ballone and his life, um, artists to come on and talk about what some of uh, his music has meant to them and how they have been inspired by his legacy. It's going to be a, a anonymous lover, Joseph Ballone extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> Anaganza, extravaganza. Oh, by the way, we need to talk about Mandy Morphosis, just by the way, yeah. because my position has yeah. changed and now I am 100% on your side, Lee. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm sorry, Guy Fieri. I was about to say diners, drive-ins, and dives. No, like with that a hamburger phone. No, wild. and that that wig that was even worse than Guy Fieri's actual hair. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't. I can't. But and the flats, the the flats on that main stage look. I'm like, that was so upsetting. Yeah. I understand flats, why. As in flat shoes? As yes. in flat shoes, not as even a kitten shoes. heel, mm -hmm. like an in a, actual flat shoe. In a drag, I, I, I've, I, I've deduced by now that y'all are talking about drag race. Yeah. The flat shoes? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh. And I, <laughs> that what we're I, doing now. <laughs> I understand why he had to do it because mm -hmm. the way because of his costume, mm -hmm. he had to crouch as he was walking mm -hmm. down the runway. So, it's not conducive to heels, but still. Yeah, that's not how you win the the crown. And I know. feel like, you know, think about like Katya or Detox or yes, yes. any of those queens would have figured out a way to put on a, any, a cute pair of heels. And, and honestly, I think if it had been a different context, I think Michelle would have read him to filth mm -hmm. over it, right? I think they were giving him some space and he's clearly got some good ideas. He seems like he's newish to drag, but like, no God. Wants to be very respectful, but. Yeah, and I appreciate look, that. If, if I wanted to see a drag queen do a blues guitar performance <laughs> <laughs> for the talent show, if I wanted to see anyone do a blues Perform. I, I would just go down to the local guitar center, <laughs> wait a minute for somebody to start playing Stairway to Heaven on one of the, the sample guitars. No, <laughs> I'm not there. Anyway, I'm sorry. Joseph yeah. Ballone. Joseph Ballone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about the, the 18th century and the Marie Antoinette of it all. Just me thinking yeah. about and I think before we get to our first guests, um, I think we would be really remiss, you know, we are recording this on Wednesday, January 19th, and we just got word that another one of our mm. incredible elders, Andre Leon Talley, um, passed away this last night. And over the course of the past couple of weeks, we have just lost so many just pillars Sorry. of our community. And I just thought it would be just really important for us to just sort of take a moment and just sort of acknowledge um, all of these people that we've lost and yeah. the amazing impact that they've had on us and our and our lives and and the movement um you know towards racial equity and justice and you know andre leon talley sydney poitier mm -hmm. bell hooks mm -hmm. um you know, local activist Mel Reeves here mm -hmm. in Minneapolis, Lonnie Guineer, mm -hmm. uh, Ronnie Spector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
uh, uh, Clyde Bellacor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, am I missing anyone? Good gosh. Yes, um, although not one of our ancestors, um, we still have to shout out Betty White. Like I, yes, I think it, it goes, <laughs> it's worth doing a couple of times a week, honestly. It's a huge influence in my comedic styling, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I just found myself especially crushed when we heard about Bell Hooks, because yeah. for me, she was just yeah. someone, I don't even remember exactly when it was. It, it must have been like, you know, at the, you know, mid 2000s, early 2000s, somehow I got my hands on a, a video of her. Um, and just speaking, just truth to power. And in my little sort of 20 year old brain, I was just like, oh, <laughs> like there's feminism. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then there's black feminism. That's cool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, cool. And she just the way that she got these people together, but with so much love. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I just, she was just somebody for me that was just such a huge inspiration and just such a, someone that I just learned so much from and who I feel like just really just helped me in my development to just sort of become uh, the person that I am today. Um, but I don't know about you all. <laughs> yeah, you know, Andre Leon Talley has always been an interesting, like, friend in the head mm-hmm. for me. Um, mm-hmm. I like so much of, like, what his public presentation was, right? And I think the way that he was able to make such a clear mark, not just on fashion, right, but in, in the ways that we think about clothes right how clothes show up in films and television and certainly on the runway and and i you know have always felt like a very close connection to him i've never had the opportunity to meet or even see him in person but there was something about the way that he was unabashedly himself and he absolutely expressed that sartorially right and you know that's been a piece that's been really important to me like i i wear what i want to and it's an expression of how i understand myself and how i feel connected to aspects of my culture i'm not afraid of a little bit of a color or a little piece of print and i look to people like him as influences and people who also say you can be a cisgender man and have whatever job you want to and still express yourself in terms of what it is that you're wearing, which I I don't think is the messaging that we typically get, especially men of color, right? Oh, absolutely. So. And and just the way that he was able, he he allowed himself to take up space. Yeah. As much space yeah. as he wanted, whenever yeah. he wanted. Whenever he wanted. And that was just such an just mind blowing for like, you know, just like a little closeted little gay kid in Virginia (laughs) to just be like oh my god I can go up to New York and I can just like be just unabashed like I can just walk down the street like in a muumuu certainly could or or a caftan and I can I can do I can I can do that I'm allowed to do that I'm allowed to just express myself the way that 
you know, feels authentic to myself and my soul. Um, and of course, I will just never forget the two seasons that he was a judge on Top Model. Yes. That was, yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, I, still... I want to hang this in my saddle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still processing, like, uh, I'm going to be processing his passing for a minute and yeah. Same thing with Bell Hooks. Like yeah. I was introduced to her as a freshman at Howard because my acting professor didn't officially put her book on the syllabus, but highly strongly encouraged us all to read it just for life, just to, mm. to be good people out in the world, um, for us to read all about love. Um, and so I got it because he, you know, uh, was clearly so passionate about it and it was like nothing short of life changing and continues to be. Um, but Andre Leon Talley, um, I often like don't tell people that before, like one of my first arts loves was fashion. Like I want to be a fashion designer when I was little. Hey, I wanted, I wanted to do that for a long time. And then I went like different, like to fashion buyer. And then like, I went to... <laughs> Obviously, now I ended up in theater, but because of that, like he was such a and any any interest I had, my parents wanted me to know about the black people who came mm -hmm. before me, who did mm -hmm. it, and whose shoulders, you know, we stand on. And so I learned about him really early on. And if there's like anything that I've gleaned that's made such an impact on me and how I dress now, there's especially as black folks. I want us to internalize that there's like nothing wrong with being grand mm, just yes. for the sake of it. Yes. Like, and don't let anybody dim that. Like that is something like, uh, he like really helped instill in me to have fun mm -hmm. with like what I was, with what I was wearing to, you know, embrace beauty. Why not make something beautiful? Like, come on, make your everyday life beautiful. Like, <laughs> for real. Like, that is, I, I think special. of him embodying. And yeah. special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to wait to wear something special mm. or it, you don't have to wait because it's too much for the, for the moment. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, that's one thing I remember. And I, like, I feel like I have to mention just like the cost of being in the spaces that he was in is like, especially what's hard to process right now. How a lot of folks like him, especially our Black queer elders, so many like don't see the recognition they deserve mm -hmm. while they're living um, mm -hmm. or end up in like really lonely places or having to experience a lot of loneliness. And he's talked about that. And so, um, yeah, that is really like sitting with me. Yeah. Like, how I want to lift up the like and be intentional about lifting up his legacy, the legacy of other Black queer ancestors like him, um, lifting up the people who are still here while they're here. Um, yeah, that's sitting heavy with me this morning. Yeah. Well, you know, the other one that has sort of been very present on my mind has been Ronnie Spector. Oh my um, gosh. I'm a yes. huge, huge fan of early huge, mid 60s huge pop. Fan. Me too. Love girl groups, um, always love girl groups. And the Ronettes were certainly one of my favorite. Um, and, you know, Ronnie Spector grew up in Washington Heights where I lived for seven years and 
you know, I, I've just always been very drawn to her music, to mm -hmm. her story. She her voice. always was uh, an interesting interview, voice. an amazing one of a kind voice. I know um, Zendaya is playing her in an upcoming biopic, and I'm really looking that is perfect that. casting is oh yeah it though? <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that but that is yes. perfect so i am really looking forward to that i also love musical biopics um, but that might be a different story for a different um topic but yeah i that one hit me kind of hard so i've been listening to a lot of her music and re-watching sydney poitier movies that i've seen a hundred thousand times already so it's been a i mean we're not even three weeks in y'all no. and this is sort of where we are and i uh, trying not to be of the mindset that this doesn't bode well for the rest of the year but it is definitely not the start to 2022 that i was hoping for well may their memories always be a blessing mm. and an inspiration and just my undying gratitude to each one of them for all of the ways that they touched us um, and inspired us. It's just, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just really Ashe. Ashe. Yeah. Ashe. Yeah. But with that said, we do have a show to do and it's actually gonna be a pretty cool one in my I opinion, so. if I do oh, say yeah. so myself. So stay tuned because after the break, we are going to be joined by the director of Minnesota Opera's upcoming uh, production of Joseph Ballone's The Anonymous Lover, Maria Todoro, as well as our brand new uh, vice president of our, I couldn't remember his title for a second, sorry, Joseph. <laughs> our, our, our brand new vice president of artistic, Joseph Lee, also Yay. will join us. And then after that, I keep saying Black excellence because she is, because we had such a fun time with her. Mm -hmm. um, but we uh, sit down with the costume designer of the anonymous lover, Ari Fulton, after, after that. So Yay. we've just got a whole smorgasbord of goodness. <laughs> and, is and interesting people and beautiful art um, for you all. So stay tuned. We will be right back. All right, and we are back, everyone. Welcome back. Um, this episode um, is the first of three episodes of our anonymous lover, Joseph Ballone extravaganza. And um, we're super excited um, because, I mean, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time that Minnesota Opera is producing an opera by a Black composer, which is oh. amazing. And it's also amazing that this is the first time that we are back in production at the Ordway up on stage since mm -hmm. March, 2020. It's so exciting. <laughs> um, but the Anonymous Lover is gonna open this Saturday and we are here joined by two guests who are here to talk about um, the production, get everyone hyped and excited for it. Um, first, we have the director, um, Maria Todoro. Uh, she is not simply just a stage director. 
Um, she is a versatile artist. She is an entrepreneur, a fight choreographer, stunt artist, writer, director. Uh, she has worked in places all around the country. Uh, she made her uh, US stage directing debut in 2015 at the Westfield Symphony Orchestra. She yeah. has worked at Michigan Opera Theater, South Dakota's Symphony Orchestra. Right now, she is the general director as well as the founder of the Phoenicia International Festival of Voice. And how cool is it? <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that I just found fascinating is you specialize in virtual reality directing. Is that? Yeah, it's the thing that happened, you know, with COVID. We we had to find other avenues, and all of a sudden, you met you know, you connecting with new partners in the world of opera. We had no choice. We had to expand or, you know, and so the we had to think out of the box. But this, well, I'm here for, and this project is way more exciting than, than <laughs> seriously, this is like, we, we're creating history here, guys. And I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled to talk about it and, and more grateful for Minnesota Opera to have, reopen taking this risk taking that you know taking this composer um taking me <laughs> bigger <laughs> risk uh, and uh and giving us the opportunity to tell the story of that a little bit of that guy well we right. are super excited to have you here we cannot i i think i speak for everyone when i say we can't wait to to see the show um but also we have here um coach musician and incredible, brand new vice president of artistic here at Minnesota Opera, Mr. Joseph Lee. Welcome to what I would imagine is first your first of many appearances on the score. Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get right into it. Um, the Anonymous Lover. I think it is a piece that perhaps not a lot of people know about, but hopefully a lot more people will know about it um, after this weekend. Um, but can you, Maria, just maybe tell us a little bit about the show, what is it about, um, and who is it by? Yeah, so um, absolutely, with great pleasure. This is The Anonymous Lover, L'Amant Anonyme, is a piece that is composed in the gallant styles, which is a very, very light, bubbly, joyous, it's a comedy, right? It's a comedy of 90 minutes that have ballet, that have all kinds of explosion of joy. Um, and it's and the script is, you know, all the Frenchness and all the, 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 the amorous secrecy and all the intrigues of, uh, of people that uh, it was very, it's very French, all that side, it's very court, it was very prized at the court of Marie Antoinette you know, and uh, pre-French -revol revolution when everything went but uh, this was like the, the bubbles and uh, so there's a lot of light, lots of joy in the play which is very interesting for uh, the composer and, the, okay so many things to say, the composer himself um, Joseph Boulogne is not, you know, it, it's, we can't judge the immensity and this like almost, you know, superhero-like life that he had based on that 90 minutes ditty. Because the 90 minutes, it's a bubble of joy. It's like a little, but his life, my gosh, was an opera itself, you know, and the, the fact that the segregation he, he faced and despite segregation being a superstar of his time, uh, a counselor of the king and the queen, um, you know, 
meeting every single big personality of the 18th century, Casanova, Mozart, he influenced greatly Mozart, and not the opposite. Mozart was only 12 when he met Bologna and have been in his music completely inspired by uh, him. And, you know, the, the, the Chevalier Deon, uh, William Wilberforce, was someone that completely went behind Bologna and actually this whole, you know, how the super... The superstar, <laughs> the superstardom started for. He was a superstar at this time, and uh, um, it started with this man overachieving and being excellent at everything he touched because he knew that this was the only way for him because of the color of his skin, because of his heritage, you know. And he he, he was excellent at everything he touched. He led two regiments. I mean, I'm saying this almost with rage because it's incredible. You know, we talk about Mozart and all this composition, but if the guy, if Bologna had not been busy saving the world, maybe we would have had more work from him, you know, like Mozart, who was partying and no, nothing against Mozart. I love Mozart, but Mozart was composing <laughs> and partying uh, while this guy was building two regiments of black people fighting two revolution, you know, working with abolitionists, uh, composing, being a fencer, being a politician, being uh, a defender of so many things plus dealing with the, the, the segregation on him like you couldn't marry at a time when you're a black man you couldn't wear certain colors you couldn't own properties and despite all this he flirted with everybody that had a brain and talent at the time um, and you know despite the hardship because he got when the French Revolution came, he was also tossed in jail, which was like, what? But, uh, yeah, for the, I mean, it's so funny because he was the friend of the Duke d'Orléans, who was one of the main defensors of equality at the time. I wanted, you know, one of the initiators of the French Revolution, who's also guillotine, boom, you know, died, one of the first to be eliminated. But Boulogne, why would they put this man in jail, you know? But because he flirted with aristocracy, this is how the people... So there's so much. And I know I'm digressing from the actual story of the opera we're presenting, but I would like the audience to understand that this is such a... It's a little bubble of joy, but it has... But this is a pretext to actually talk about the composer, talk about his life, talk about his accomplishment. And unfortunately for us... He has composed six operas, and this is the only one we we got, plus one piece from another one. Um, <laughs> and I, I like to, because of the lightness, and you know, when you listen to his concerto violin, he was a, a virtuoso uh, violin, and Joseph can talk more about all this, of course, but he was a virtuoso violin, so violinist of today, when they look at his music, they tremble and sweat. They like oh my gosh, it's difficult for the way the, the hand is traveling, you know, ups and downs on the on the violin. It's, it takes someone of his virtuosity level. Um, his concertos violin music is divine and profound and, and very avant-garde for the time. Um, this opera is, uh, is really, once again, we're treating it the whole concept behind it, it's really to render an homage to Bologna. So we did it, we set it at in an island that looks like Guadalupe because it was his birthplace. So I hope the audience would love the colors and love the, the palm trees and love the wind and the, and the curtain. And um, 
I'm still, you know, I if I had been able to, I would have had flying parrots on stage, but we can't. Um, <laughs> and Harry, our costume designer, would not be very happy you know, with the silk and all the beautiful fabrics she's uh, putting on stage. So no, no, no live parrot, but the audience will completely picture and imagine them. So it's kind of in a Caribbean island in the 18th century with a little bit of, you know, uh, liberty into the, the anachronism just to connect us a little more deeply with the text from the 18th century. So we had to, uh, while respecting completely the text, which is, by the way, written by a woman, Stéphanie Félicité de Jean-Lys, another crazy thing, you know, for the time, for and another person also who had a very complex life and was a dear friend of Bologna at the time. Um, so it's 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 really fascinating that we have this opportunity not only to reopen the opera, as you said, uh, to present the work of a black composer, but it's not just any black composer. This is a guy who has been in the shadow for many years unfairly and deserves to be celebrated at the highest level and at the highest level of many composers. So hopefully this is what our presentation will will do, not only entertain the audience that comes and see all the fireworks that we're putting everywhere and, you know, the, the comical. It's really meant to be a joyful explosion and in the cold of Minnesota, you know, in February. <laughs> so yeah, we need it. <laughs> yeah, so please, hopefully this is going to be, but also, and I, I hope, I pray that this is going to also uh, trigger many curiosities about who was Joseph Bologna and, and many more of his celebration like this. I did this all this in one breath, guys. <laughs> that was a lot of talk. <laughs> and it, it was really fantastic, Maria. Thank you for that. And I was hoping we would find a way to sort of bring in that connection to William Wilberforce into the conversation because he's primarily known in the United States as having given his name to one of our oldest historically black universities. So I think people hearing that there's a connection there too will be of real interest. Um, I have a question for you as well, Joseph. Um, could you say a little bit about why The Anonymous Lover and why now, and maybe the ways that this is giving us the opportunity to put into practice our statement of artistic belief in our diversity charter? Right. Uh, so Minnesota Opera's stated vision is to sing every story. And the, as Maria pointed out, this is the first opera we're uh, putting or producing by a black composer. And so we have not sung every story, have we? Um, and so this is absolutely the the story that we want to tell. And uh, now it, more than ever, um, one of the things that originally uh, inspired me from listening to the early episodes of the score was this desire, this longing for um, artistic expressions of PBJ pure black joy. And um, while this, you know, this is kind of, I feel like a first meager offering um, to that plate that we, we so, that we so long for um, and to offer it in this light spirit that Maria is talking about that she's putting into her uh, work with the artists, the humor, the humanity, 
the dancing, the singing, the, the uh, virtuosity of the orchestra. Um, this is all part of, uh, of what we need to be telling right now. And another thing Maria mentioned was, you know, about how COVID's gotten in our face um, over the past couple of years and gotten in the way of things that we're doing. I feel like this is us getting in COVID's face a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's taking uh, a lot of effort, but it's an effort well worth it in my opinion. Get in COVID's face, but make sure you have a mask on first. (laughs) 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 And be vaccinated too. And boosted, boosted. Yep. Yeah, yeah. With some precautions, with some protections, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Maria, I think you like alluded to this a bit um, in, in what you were saying. There was just so much richness. I wonder if you could talk more about what, um, how Bologna is, Bologna is viewed in France. Like what is his legacy among the people and in French history? Like is his, is his name heard? Is it, is it spoken everywhere? Like, is it, is it commonly taught? No, no. And that is like an absolute shock to me because really, and again, one of the things that I'm super grateful is like, Minnesota Opera taught me about my own French history by bringing this project in front of me. That's ridiculous. I discovered then that, yes, two books have been written about him, but it's obscurely known, you know. It's not, uh, uh, no, it's not common knowledge that we had this black composer and it's, uh, and that is one of the things that I hope to repair and I'm going to go on, a, you know, on the real uh, passionate quest here uh, I don't want to use the word crusade because that's like what, but you know, I, I'm, I'm. That's a little bit of a of a desire of mine to go back to my country and say, hello, riches here, you know, celebration, and he has a, he has a street in Paris where there's a plate with his name, you know, so it's not completely, and he's quoted. I mean, on on our, he's quoted by people, in passing, and. He's quoted a little bit by everybody important because, again, he was an influential, he was the only one, the only one that has that status, a man of color, you know, that status at the court of Versailles. So he was, you know, remarked, he was noted. Um, We, but no, I mean, we have not to answer your question. No, there's not enough. There's really not enough. Uh, But you'll see in the show, um, I don't want to give all the secrets to our audience because you got to come and you got to have fun and see all the little bubbles that we put for you. But uh, there is, there's going to be quoted, I just, quotes, quoted French, quotes of, you know, John Adams, for instance, is quoting, uh, there's a wonderful quote from, by John Adams about Boulogne uh, that you'll, you'll read it, come to the show, you'll read it. Um, and there's all kinds of quotes also from very famous people. Um, but I, I'm so, so no, I'm disappointed that people don't know about him. This is why for the first time, a lot of ideas came when you read the play, you could set it in, it's a universal uh, play. So you, the opera itself, right? You could set it in any time. Any, this is one motivation also to respect the time period of the composer and setting it in his birthplace, eluded birthplace. 
and uh, it was important. That's part of the, that's part of telling the story of Bologna. You know, that's part of the illustration of his life. Even if it again, the opera does not talk about something directly connected to his life. Uh, there's a lot of elements, uh, like the fencing. There's no reason to have a fight in this fantastic love play but we put a little bit of fencing just to make a wink at his, the fact that his career and notoriety started with this you were talking about William uh, uh, you know um, Wilberforce earlier we were talking about this and that started this entire notoriety started with the fencing and started with um, so you know the, the, the abolitionists very quickly understood they had like someone that could be uh, the, spoke, the spoke person and the, they could be all behind him. So, And he was only 17 when he defeated one of the greatest, uh, Alex Picard, who was the guy, the French guy, the, the, the superstar of fencing of the time in France, who called him, a, I don't want to say the word here, but it's not a good word, and it was offensive <laughs> to, you know, it was offensive to... to um, Bologne, so Bologne say, you and me, we're fighting. <laughs> and, and he won. He, Bologne who worked so hard at everything he did. This is also why it's so important to be told for me, is that, you know, it's inspiring. He worked, he got, you know. And, and it's not that we work, we got. It's not the formula, of course. But he, this is a success story, despite everything the stuff this man has touched in his living and the influence he had on his living, you know, while he was with us. Um, and now we, now we, you know, finally giving him recognition, but he has changed lives during his own life. And so that has to be voiced a lot for me because I think we do need this encouragement on a daily basis, and specifically in cer certain communities as you defend them and you know that. Um, I like to celebrate the positive, you know, instead of dwelling in the, 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 the thing that we know didn't work. I like that this life is one that really worked, you know, and celebrate that life. Can I ask, a, pose a question to the group, if you will? Uh, one of the things that Maria said about just kind of casually in passing when she was talking about all the things that Bologna did, um, leading regiments, being an expert, everything he did, she said something like, it fills me with rage just thinking about it. And I thought, yes, you know, we all have this kind of like, oh my gosh, we know people in our lives who are good at everything. It like it makes us so upset. But I also wonder on another level, imagining somebody that good at what they were doing as many people uh, of this kind are that they encounter resistance because of that. They encounter insecure colleagues, insecure people around them who are threatened by somebody like Bologna, who would have been so much better at what he did than most of the people, almost all the people around him probably. Um, so I wanted to know, you know what what you all thought of that of being a possibility this is this is completely just speculation on my end i i expect from what i have read that this is probably true um but what do you all think 
You know, there is a statement that many folks of color grow up hearing around, if you want to get half as much as your white counterparts, you have to be twice as good, right? And I think that there is something very, very real about that. And as, you know, democratizing as the arts can be, I think it's something that shows up very frequently. And I'll, I'll just say really briefly, two nights ago, my husband and I were watching the tragedy of Macbeth starring Denzel Washington, right? And among other reactions to it, we were both kind of blown away at being reminded how good Denzel Washington is and how extraordinary his um, range of skill is relative to kind of every other living male who is acting <laughs> at the moment. And, you know, I, I think this kind of connects, right? You know, whether you're thinking of someone like, um, uh, Maya Angelou recently on the quarter, the number of things that she excelled at in her life beyond poetry, oh. dancing, singing, you know, acting, all of that. And I think that it's almost common among Black artists to have those kinds of profiles and still never attain what your white counterparts do. And I think that's part of what we have to counteract in this space. But uh, Paige and Rocky, I'd love to hear your perspectives too. Yeah, I... I mean, I, it's kind of as Lee said about that, you know, phrase that we're all um, taught, you know, growing up that, you know, you have to, to get half as much, you have to be twice as good. And I mean, I think along with that, I was also just trained with the knowledge that um, there will be um, eyes on you that are <laughs> that are jealous or who, um, whether they admit it or not, have um, internalized that you're supposed to be lesser than, you know, they've internalized that as a brown skinned person, like, wait, you're not supposed to shine like that. Like, you're not supposed to be smarter than me, or you're not supposed to make me feel like I'm not as smart as you or not as brilliant as you. And people act out <laughs> in all kinds of ways when they have, um, you know, that feeling. And yeah, I was just kind of taught that that was also a, a fact of the matter. So I'm absolutely sure that <laughs> the Chevalier face that. Um, I'm, I'm just sure of it. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but I, I think the more we can call attention to it as well, like those who want to rectify it also can see when that's when that's happening in a space and and when that's been part of somebody's uh, even, you know, retroactively like now, even when that's been part of the legacy and, you know, why we're not hearing of this person, because that's the kind of attitude that prevails and hopefully we can disrupt it now when it's happening in the present. Yeah, I was having a conversation once with someone a few years ago. And I was saying that, like, it's really interesting because, you know, as, you know, a Black person, a Black artist, especially, you know, you can go into spaces, you can be smart, you can be capable, you can be hot, you can be funny, you can be cool. But it's very rare that you can be in a space where you can be all of those things at once. And so it's just this very sort of careful calculus that you're doing in your head. Like, well, which parts of myself do I need to sort of dim in order to make this person feel comfortable or in order to sort of get myself to the place where I want to be? And it's just so heartening to hear this story of this man who 
just kind of went into these spaces and just went like, I'm going to be me. And I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do whatever the f I want to do, and y'all are gonna deal with it, and y'all y'all are just gonna be mad, um, because I think I've, I've told this story before um, on the podcast, but having a teacher who wanted to fail me because I, you know, kind of stood up for myself and stood up for, you know, what I believed in in his class, and he did not like that, and so he was trying to give me, you know, an f, and so I just went, you know what, I'm just gonna shine even brighter so that you you have no choice but to give me, um, you know, an A or a passing grade or whatever. And so it, it's just really heartening that we are, are putting, putting um, this piece on the stage um, and we're highlighting this man and his life and his incredible accomplishments. And I just hope that, you know, especially um, folks of, of color, especially black folks who come to see this show, um, get to see his work and get to read about his life and get to listen to the, our show for the next couple of weeks, hopefully, <laughs> um, you know, and, and continue to get inspired because, you know, that's really what great art does is, you know, allows everyone to sort of inspire and, and be inspired and, and dream. Now, you guys have given us a, a great opportunity to create food for thoughts and, and create that, uh, that's, that healing inspiration that we will give to the audience, hopefully. Um, and to the artist also, it's so, I mean, just a little pitch for the audience and the people that will listen to us. This is really history that we're making. We're adding two pieces of music that were not part of the score. There's been little tweaks of motivation of the characters. So this piece not only has rarely been heard in the history of the piece itself, but now it's never been heard the way it will be presented here, you know? So this is making history all together too, as we honoring uh, the originator of that music. I am I'm, I'm so, I, I don't like to say I'm humbled and all that stuff, but I really mean it. I'm really humbled by this particular project, you know? It is, it is a privilege to be serving a guy like Bologna. And uh, yeah. It's, it's special. I think I I think all the the actors, the wonderful performers we have, and Maestro Joseph, and I think everybody, and the choreographer, the fantastic choreographer we have. So because it's you know 18th century music, but we're setting in the Caribbean, all the audience is gonna travel with us. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a wonderful travel in the island <laughs> because the, we have a, a Jenan. Saint-Just, she's an Haitian choreographer. Do you know her? She is amazing. She's amazing! I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. (laughs) She's amazing. And and I I adore, it's like we we knew each other forever. And she's, uh, and Jennifer Marco. So we have two choreographers that are helping me uh, setting a, a very interesting mix of the 18th century traditional, you know, dance and the wah of the kind of <laughs> <laughs> this is all I'm going to say, but there's a lot of wah in there, a lot of it. So it's, uh, it's fun to learn those things also, you know, uh, the, the, yeah. Well, one thing that I was just curious about, um, you know, since we're talking about, you know, sort of innovation and collaboration, um, you know, obviously we are living through um, a global pandemic right now. Um, and this is the first, like I said at the beginning, the first opera that we are mounting on the stage in the Ordway for the first time since, you know, March, February 2020. So I'm just curious what, you know, 
what is different now two years later um, when it comes to producing an opera for the stage? What have you found that is <laughs> that's new, that's crazy? Um, and, and how do you feel like you know, it's all going, I guess, masks, exactly. You know, yeah, that's a little different because yeah. half of the expression of the artist. So it would be, well, if they can, if they're making it work with just this, imagine when we're going to have all that. So mm -hmm. it's got to be bonus for me. So I'm happy, <laughs> you know, it cannot be, yeah, contradictory. So that's different. Joseph, what do you think? I think the the expectations are the biggest difference of making art in a, in a post or current pandemic world and expectations of what is possible um, both expanded and not um, the mask thing that you bring up Maria is is huge uh, as a, I cannot imagine doing this as a singer honestly the, the way that I try to describe this to to other people especially other pianists who you know we we as coaches we use our ears all the time we're supposed to be the pickiest of the picky in terms of what we hear from a singer but i describe this as well what if you had to play rehearsals for three weeks four weeks but wearing mittens or wearing gloves um how would you That's feel about you know maybe you could manage that for a week but after a week wouldn't it start to kind of grip pull on your soul a little bit, not being able to bring the full force of what you know you could do to bear. And uh, I think that the expectations that we have of our artists and in particular singers are just so high. Um, and I would just like to give them a shout out for being as yeah, good courageous and good sports and that for putting good. the amount of love and effort into this that they are. And at the, the soonest point that we can stop making this demand of them <laughs> out with it because um it's it's a lot but you you're so right joseph i mean everybody has been such an incredible sport at rehearsal and uh so happy again and to serve the piece and to be on stage and to work you know and to oh so what's different i think covid has also taught us all that um nothing is really can be taken for granted and so there is a gratitude in rehearsal in the room you know there's a general sense of gratitude and appreciation there was a common you know oh, so blasé gotta go to rehearsal you know like i do that all the time but every single artist in the heart is its place is on stage and in a rehearsal and we love what we're doing and we would you know we our identity is so intertwined with what we do that uh, it was a mask also to not show so much that it matters. You know, that blasé attitude, it's a mask. And we all know that behind the mask, there's so much love and so much uh, desire to do well. And so I think the mask has fallen a tiny, <laughs> not that, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about, mask fallen. Right? <laughs> not, not the N95. Mask has fallen, not those masks. But uh, uh, so there's a little bit more of transparency and vulnerability. Also, the artists are a little more. And we had conversation around the table about insecurities and about the muscle, you know, the muscle, the rehearsal muscle not being practiced a little bit. So, and that was an, at one of the two weeks in the process, we sat um, with the, 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 the actors, the singers, and we discussed uh, 
we discussed the, the, the fact that it's okay to feel a little weird. It's totally okay to feel weird. We all, I feel weird too. We all feel weird. Uh, so let's just embrace it and make the best. Out of it. So those conversations have been very rare in the past, you know, to just say, hey, we, we human beings that are trying our best right now and with all the skills that we work so hard to acquire, you know, so that has been positive, I would say. Well, we could not be more excited to see this piece when it opens up on Saturday. Everyone, please go to mnopera.org, call the box office, get your tickets, because this is one that you are not going to want to miss. And Maria and Joseph, we are honored. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we hope to see you both again in the future. And... uh, Everyone else, stay tuned. We will be right back with costume designer extraordinaire and black excellence, Ari Fulton. We'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and we are back. Continuing our anonymous lover palooza. I guess I don't know what we're calling this. <laughs> I like palooza. Palooza's good. <laughs> it's good suffix. <laughs> One of my that. favorites. Um, and uh, Lee actually had a quick prior commitment, so he had to run out for a few minutes. Um, but that just means that we are joined by our favorite guest host. Mr. Frankie Charles, welcome back to the show. Hi, Frankie. (laughs) How are you doing today? Good, great. It's a wonderful, wonderful day in Minneapolis. Isn't it? Just (laughs) snowy (laughs) and cold, January. Oh, my God. So uh, pleasant. So pleasant. (laughs) But you know what? That was sarcasm for any of the listeners who didn't pick up on that. But what I'm not being sarcastic about uh, is how happy we are to have our incredible guest today. Another wonderful example of Black excellence here on The Score. We are so excited to have Ari Fulton here. Uh, She is a New York-based costume designer who has built a diverse career creating characters for stage and film. Ms. Fulton is an alum of the theater school at DePaul University, as well as the Tisch School of the Arts, NYU, for those of you who don't know. Um, Film credits include Nigerian Prince, Cupid's, the Disney Talent Showcase, and some recent theater design credits include A Wonderful World, the Louis, uh, the Louis Armstrong musical uh, at Miami New Drama, a high school play at the Alley Theater, Confederates written by Dominique Morisot at the Signature Theater, and Off-Broadway directed by Robert O'Hara. She previously served as the interim head of costume design at the University of Connecticut and is currently on the faculty at Queensboro Community College. Um, But we are super excited uh, to have her here because she uh, designed all of the costumes for our upcoming uh, production of The Anonymous Lover. And we couldn't be more excited to talk to her about her process, some of those designs, the work, why she's excited to be a part of this project. So welcome, Ari. We're so excited to have you on the score. 
<laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm a fan of you guys. I've been listening to your podcast um, and it's uh -huh. getting me through uh, the Aww. fall. So I'm very excited to be here. Oh my gosh, that's so nice. <laughs> it's always just like so weird. Like, you know, sometimes you're you're sitting here and you're sort of like putting things out into the world. And so to hear <laughs> that people are actually listening to it. It's just kind of exciting. <laughs> um, but, you know, first question, let's get right into it. The Anonymous Lover, so exciting. The first um, opera by a Black composer here on the Minnesota Opera Stage, which feels wild to say, but <laughs> it's exciting that it's happening. Um, and so can you just tell us about this project, your involvement, how you got involved, and just about some of the costumes and what your inspiration was. Yeah, so I got involved this summer um, where when um, the set designer actually contacted me, uh, Stephen Abrovsky, we actually went to uh, grad school together and he said, you know, let's do a pitch um, for Minnesota Opera. Um, and, you know, when you first hear about it, you're like, okay, whatever. Um, but then <laughs> I started doing uh, some research on uh, the actual composer, um, uh, Joseph Ballon, uh, and instantly I was hooked. Um, I just felt like his story spoke to me. Um, you know, just sort of being stuck between two worlds, you know, um, you know, being stuck between two worlds, um, constantly having to prove yourself, uh, constantly being met with doubts, um, and then also just trying to showcase your artistry and your talent. Um, so, you know, that's the, the first thing that caught my attention. Um, and then, of course, it's the 18th century, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, the 18th century has always been like, you know, the, the period that I've most wanted to design, and especially the 18th century with Black people, <laughs> or brown people in general, um, you know, I'm an art lover, um, uh, yeah, I'm an art lover. Um, I've also seen uh, through my research that um, oftentimes uh, brown people have not been showcased in art history or highlighted in art history, um, especially during this time period. Um, it's always in the view of subjugation or, you know, in the backdrops. And I, th I found this to be an opportunity for me to showcase uh, the humanity of, you know, Black and Brown people during this period. Yes, same. I you, you speak in my language right now. We love, mm -hmm. we were, I grew up in a house of Black girls who loved like period films and things like that. And we love to look at the costumes. And that's part of why I was so excited just like seeing the, what you shared with um, Minnesota Opera staff of your designs for the production. It just like increased my excitement tenfold. Um, <laughs> and I, I wonder like what has been different working um, in costume design for opera versus, you know, maybe some of some of the other work you've done, which I heard some really cool stuff in there. I love Dominique Morisot and Robert O'Hara. So it's cool you got to work on their, on their work. But yeah, what's been unique about, about opera, I wonder? 
What has been unique about opera? Um, I want to say um, what's really unique is so far on this production, now this is my first opera, <laughs> so I don't know how it will go after this project. Um, I also think that Minnesota Opera is a unique place, it seems like, where they allow the artists to lead and they kind of step out of the way. Um, you know, uh, so I found that to be very unique where um, my process was our process on the, the project, me, uh, the director, the set designer, we were allowed to just be creative. Um, so that was different. Um, I think the thing that was a little jarring was the hierarchy. It's slightly different than stage or film. Um, uh, learning that because I feel like no matter what uh, discipline you work in, you have to figure out how to navigate that. Um, so, you know, learning that. And also um, I wanna say, uh, you know, I'm not a musical person. I'm a very visual person. Um, so learning, um, you know, the composer and, you know, the music conductor, all of, you know, these different elements of opera has been a real challenge, but also interesting to learn how to navigate. It, it reminds me of um, a conversation we were having with Trevor Bowen a couple of months ago, and he, he was talking about a very similar thing, like, you know, why is it that we call it the libretto when we can just call it the script? <laughs> there's just <laughs> this kind of barrier to entry with all of the language that people have to learn. And it's just a little, maybe a little gatekeeper-y at times. But. It is, it is. And I have reservations about doing this because, you know, everyone on the creative team speaks multiple languages. I'm mm -hmm. one. Um, and, you know, like anything with, when it comes to high art, and I'm saying it in quotation marks, there's this idea of elitism and, you know, this idea where, you know, I'm from Chicago, you know, I'm not very fancy or proper in that regard, <laughs> I'm very laid back. Um, so to enter that world uh, is very, you know, um, uh, it's very scary because you don't know how you're going to come across and you don't want to be viewed as ignorant or not knowing what you're talking about. Um, but you also want to learn, you know, mm -hmm. uh, many times I've asked Maria, the, the director, you know, please send me, uh, readings on opera you know I want because in order to break the mold you have to know what the mold is mm -hmm. you know in order to innovate you have to know what the rules are to figure out how to break something intentionally um, and innovate on a new idea um, so for months I've just been um, you know reading and getting myself familiarized with the the structure of opera um, and classical music in order to break the mold wow. It's, yeah, no, I, as someone else who's from Chicago, I can definitely, I, oh, Mikey, you're from Chi-Town? Where are you yeah. from? <laughs> uh, so I did my four years at DePaul, but I'm technically from a northern suburb. Um, Go demons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just, it's wild because being at the theater school, I never, I never thought I'd be an opera. Did you ever think you'd be an opera? <laughs> I mean, I hope to because it's like, you know, costume design on a grand level, but, oh, yeah. you know, I knew it was a very steep mountain to climb. Yeah, well, 
welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're in it now. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything um, from your time in school, like a lesson or something that you're bringing into this production? Like, I really do enjoy your sentiment about learning about the new art. And the. I, I also enjoyed your quotations around high art. Um, I don't think we necessarily need to call it high art. It's all just art. Yeah. Is there anything, is there anything that you're bringing to this production from your past? Anything that's, that's inspired you from the past that you're bringing into, into this, um, into this design of yours for, for Anonymous Lover? Oh, for sure. Um, I think that, you know, growing up in Chicago, you know, like, um, I didn't grow up in the suburbs. I grew up in the city. I went to school in the city, you know, K through undergrad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I was around, you know, many different types of people, many different uh, gender expressions, um, many different, uh, you know, uh, ethnic backgrounds uh, from an early age. Um, so I always knew like the value of different cultures and the value of like mixing, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I know we hate to use the word high art, but for the lack of better word, um, high art or um, uh, uh, acceptable art with, you know, street art. Um, many of my uh, friends back home are, you know, in hip hop. You know, I have like my closest girlfriends are break dancers and I grew up in like, you know, break dancing, uh, you know, hip hop, cypher circles. Um, and for me, I found, you know, just as much value in that as, you know, going to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra or gonna go see a show at the Goodman. Uh, the one difference is, you know, and I hate to, say this, I thought much of that stuff was lame, you know, much of like what we think of as high art as being lame because I'm sure. like, I don't see myself here. Mm -hmm. Why is it so rigid? You know, what happens if you mix it with this, you know? So that's what I always try to bring to every uh, project is this element of coolness. <laughs> I know that sounds a little pretentious of me, but yeah, you, I mean, people or things that go into go down in history is not the status quo. It's the people and the things that are innovating to create something new. It's the mixing. Um, you know, you think about any of your favorite artists It's because they actually had something different to say. They weren't following the rules. They were doing something new. Um, so whenever I, you know, to sit down to design a new production. I mean, yes, I bring a sense of dramaturgy and we have to like, you know, support the story, but I always think about what can I contribute that's new to the telling of this story? Um, so that's what I bring. Yeah. Yeah, opera with swag, swaggy opera. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> opera. Please get rid of the you know rigidness like you know I go to the Met a lot I love going to go see um you know opera at the Met in New York uh I I also think that they're doing they're, you know they're really trying they're doing uh um 
they're doing new works um, and they're trying to innovate as best they can. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you enter that space, any opera house, you feel the grandeur of the space, number one. You feel the Europeanness of the space, number two. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're a brown person, automatically you're confronted with this building was not made for me. You know, like this was not made for my rhythm. It was not made for my aesthetic. You know, many operas is 50 shades of beige. And you're like, why is this on stage? Nobody <laughs> wants to look at beige. <laughs> um, <laughs> hate the color beige. I really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no neutrals, noted. No, exactly. I actually had. Um, an assistant say, wow, you really don't like neutrals. And I was like, no, I don't. No. <laughs> I used to work in, I used to work in interior design and Ooh. the head of our, of the firm that I worked for neutrals everywhere, tone on tone everywhere. <laughs> and it just got so boring. Yeah. But also I think the idea of neutrals means refined and dignified and like, mm -hmm. but pattern and color can also be refined and dignified. Um, and I think it's harder to do it with color than it is with beige because, you know, 50 shades of beige will always match, but trying to figure out different color combinations and patterns is way more sophisticated. Absolutely. And speaking of no new neutrals, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, Anonymous Lover takes place in the 18th century in the Caribbean. And so your designs are so colorful, so exciting, so vibrant. And so I, I, I think the costume renderings are up on our website, mnopera.org. Um, but I was wondering if you could tell um, the audience just a little bit more about um, these designs and what you were inspired by and just sort of um, some of the research that you did um, to, to come up with them. Yeah, um, I, I feel like I've been, you know, moving or my work up until this point has led me to here um, just because I've worked so much in the di diaspora, uh, diaspora, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I worked in West Africa. Um, when I was at DePaul, um, I actually did a study abroad uh, in Ghana where I was researching uh, traditional storytelling and textiles um, just because I've been an artist since I was in diapers, you know, I went to art school in high school, went to Chicago County for the arts. Um, and then I went to, you know, undergrad and grad school for art. Um, I studied at the Art Institute. Um, so I have been training um, in Western art since I was, you know, in diapers. And it came a point when I was at DePaul and I looked around and I was like, oh my God, this is the same exact art history class that I got in high school. Um, and in middle school, I need to go figure out a different aesthetic. Um, so I went to West Africa and started, you know, learning about traditional storytelling um, and traditional textiles. Um, so that's the thing that really got me to this point. So it wasn't really hard because um, there are uh, quite, there's, you know, um, a lot of paintings from this period of uh, 
uh, of black and brown people, um, particularly in the Caribbean. Um, I don't think it's really highlighted in our history class, but it is there if you're looking for it. Um, and so I had, I had been researching um, these, you know, different paintings and artists, but I didn't know what to do with it. And all of a sudden, this project came up, and I was like, "This is perfect." Also, you know, I wanted to put my headspace um, in uh, Boulogne, Joseph Boulogne, and figure out a way how to honor him. You know, if he was around in 2022, um, how would he want this production to be, you know, seen? So I thought, you know, me and the creative team, you know, we put our heads together and it was perfect that we said it in the Caribbean. Um, it, it was the thing that was going to honor Boulogne the most. So that's how we stumbled upon this. Um, also, there was a lot of exciting opportunities because, you know, Black women and Black people in particular even though, you know, they're dressing in a European style, they're adding their own flavor. Um, in this production, there's a lot of head wraps worn by the women. And at first, you know, I had already, you know, known this from my research, but, you know, these head wraps are very odd to a modern eye. Um, it's like, yo, it's like this huge thing on top of a woman's head, what is this about? But if you know the legacy and the history of these head wraps, you know, you see the, the like the oppression that it was supposed to initially be because it was supposed to cover the beauty of a black woman's hair. Um, but then black women didn't just tie a radio scarf around their head. They made it into fashion. Mm -hmm. It became something that was coveted by European women because all of a sudden something that was supposed to subjugate a black woman all of a sudden became this instrument of fashion to shape the culture. And that's why you see a lot of um, white European women during this time period being painted with different head wraps is because they're trying to emulate the fashion that's happening in the Caribbean. Um, so that was uh, a huge inspiration, the Caribbean in general. Um, and it just brings this, uh, you know, this is a love story. You know, it brings the heat and the, the warmth um, and the colors and the vibrancy of the Caribbean really lends itself to the storytelling. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, <laughs> um, I'm also thinking, I'm thinking about like, about this, about this production, about all you've, you've had to say about like where you're coming from and your point of view and wanting to mix it up and not be, <laughs> you know, stale and, you know, some of the maybe freedom that you've had in this production where you may not have in others or, you know, the artistic liberties you've been able to take. I wonder what people in our position, um, not just at opera houses, but at art institutions in general, like, um, what can we do to be more supportive of artists like you, um, of costume designers, even if it's specifically costume designers of color and opera is <laughs> as broad or as narrow as you want. Like, yeah, what can we do to make sure y'all having more positive experiences and that we can see, you know, more of this work that's reflecting everybody, not just not just European culture and, and history. Yeah, I mean, first I would just want to highlight that my time at Minnesota Opera has been very pleasant. Um, you know, just being given um, the freedom to create, um, the shop has been so generous with me. You know, they've really just been excited and have gone down this road with me. 
um, and just trusted me. Um, so I think the biggest thing that companies like this can do is to give opportunity number one, but then once that opportunity is given is to step out of the way and trust that the creatives are gonna create something brilliant. Because I will tell you, there's very few brown people um, as creative department heads or in places of power. So if that brown or black person has gotten there, that means <laughs> they are not about to mess up the, the opportunity that they that they're given mm -hmm. because the the different roadblocks to get there has prepared them for that moment so once they're there the best thing a company or an institution can do is step out of the way and let them shine because it's mm -hmm. going to be a good return on your investment you think about you know the nothing was i'm sure you guys know there's nothing was handed to you you had to work for it. You had to work twice as hard for it. Who are you telling? Show up for it. You had to dot all your uh, I's and, and cross all your T's to get to where you are. So there's no way, it's a very slim margin that you're going to mess up this opportunity. So the best thing a company can do is invest in a, uh, a black or brown person's um, idea, I think, <laughs> any day. Period. I mean, <laughs> period. <laughs> Point blank. Period. Thank you. I think of like how I got to here. Like, you know, my mom, I was, you know, I came from a single parent household. Um, you know, my mom was a waitress. Uh, you know, I've been in private school since kindergarten. And it wasn't because she could afford to put me there. It's because I had scholarship and I had to work to keep the scholarship. So, you know, to be working to keep your scholarship from kindergarten, that's a different type of hustle. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure many black and brown people have a similar story. I sure do. I know all of us. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> And not even talking about the other things you have to do, like community service and like, you know, just think about all of the hoops you had to jump through to get here. You know, like there's no way you're going to just squander something. Well, one question, one more question that I did have for you um, is just in terms of, you know, the, the last, you know, two years have just been so insane, <laughs> to say the least, you know, between, you know, the the pandemic, um, the global movement for racial justice. And so I'm just curious, um, you know, in your work, have there been any, you know, unique opportunities or challenges that you have found um, as an artist of color, um, you know, over the past couple of years in your work? Yeah, um, the pandemic really hit me um, psychologically, uh, just seeing what happened to, on repeat to George Floyd, you mm -hmm. know, that really, um, like I even get a little emotional thinking about it. Yeah. Um, because you think about like, how can that, the police officer not even see his humanity, you know? Um, so. Um. All right. Sorry. Uh, I don't even know why I'm crying. Because <laughs> you're a human. Right. 
don't even know where this is coming from. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so just having to live that over um, constantly, it's so hard to forgive and move on, you know? Constantly having to put yourself back together after seeing something like that was really tough. It really was. It was tough. Um, you know, my partner is a black man. I have, you know, black men in my family. And it was very tough to have to constantly not just put yourself back together, but put your community back together. Where is this coming from? Oh my God, where is this coming from? I don't even know where this is coming. You, you hit a nerve. This I'm, I, I, <laughs> I'm, it's, it's okay. We all understand. Yeah. We all understand. We really do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so get it. That, that was really tough to constantly have to put yourself back together and then turn around and make something. Um, and make something honestly. Um, and because it takes a lot of work to make something. You give a lot of yourself when you make something. So it was a long time for me to, before I could sit down and just paint or be creative. I spent a lot of time under the covers, you know, crying just because it was hard for me to believe in America. (laughs) It was hard for me um, to just create something. When you see so much injustice and so much brutality towards your community. Um, so that's that was the hardest point. I will say the thing that really kept me going were my students. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was just so nice to put that creative energy into fostering their growth. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it made me feel like I was of service to something bigger and that in a small way, I was sort of making a difference. I know that that sounds kind of, you know, cliche or corny or whatever. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. But it just felt like that was the way. um, So I didn't create for a very long time. And I just focused on, you know, fostering the growth of uh, young creatives. And I found that to be extremely rewarding. And also just deprogramming them because they had a lot of um, outdated outdated ideas of what was considered good art, high art, valued art. So that also took a lot of work to sort of deprogram them and be like, have you thought about this? And, you know, how does this story, um, how is it parallel to what's going on right now? And how do we make it relevant and, and, and um, current? Uh, so that's sort of how I got through the pandemic. Yeah. that is so real from the tears which I definitely identify I I've been there myself so more much than once. <laughs> to the to the teaching like if nobody said it let me say it like teachers like you in hard times of like especially in the arts help me keep it together so what you're doing is definitely so important yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. Well, are do you have any um do you have any projects coming up other than 
anonymous lover that you're excited about? Yeah, uh, some of them you've already highlighted. Um, I'm doing the show, the new Dominic Morissette show at um, the Signature in, in New York. Um, what else am I doing? Uh, that is the big thing that I, oh, and then the Alley production. Um, and so far, that's the thing that's, those are the two projects that are sort of set in stone. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing this spring. Awesome. Nice, nice. Well, Ari, I'm looking at the clock. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you cry. No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm a big cry baby. I cry at the drop of a dime, you know. So <laughs> well, we were so blessed, so happy to have you here with us. And everyone out there, please, if you are in the Twin Cities area, go get your tickets for Anonymous Lovers so you can see Ari's fantastic designs. Go visit mnopera.org um, so you know you can see some of the beautiful renderings of what you're going to be seeing up on stage. And Ari, do you have any, um, like a website or social media where you yes. know folks can follow you? Yes, at me, <laughs> at Ari Fulton Designs. Um, on Instagram, um, I just basically have an Instagram. That's the only thing I can handle. Um, and then AriFultonDesigns.com. So that's where you can find me. All right. AriFultonDesigns.com. Everybody go check it out. And we will be right back with the rest of the show. Thank you so much, Ari, for being here. Thank you. you all enjoyed uh, Ari and Maria and Joseph um, but as usual we want to take you out send you off into this beautiful week um, with a quick pure black joy so Paige a one a two a one two three four Peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly. That's my favorite part. You know, I first heard that on the Proud Family, and apparently that's coming back. It is with the original cast intact somehow. Amazing. I'm super excited about that. I'm there. It's that's dope. <laughs> well who wants to go first um i'll share because mine is nice and short um the february 2022 issue of british vogue features this absolutely extraordinary cover with nine african models on the right on the front um all dressed in black dark complexion beautiful sisters um and it just was a moment when I saw it, it immediately caught my eye. Um, I was so excited to see this because this is not the vogue of, you know, memory that I have, right? Um, yeah. And I know that the fashion industry takes a huge cue from what is represented in its pages. And it was really great to see this group of models honored, looking extraordinary um, and reminding people that we are here that we've always been a part of fashion that our perspectives and our voices matter and that we also look like that right so if you haven't seen it check it out i was actually inspired to um 
write about it on social media, which is not usually a thing I do. I usually <laughs> try to stay in my own lane and not talk about <laughs> fashion, but I, I was really, really struck by the image. And I think a lot of other people, um, I can only imagine kids growing up, seeing that, seeing themselves represented in that way. It'll be a little easier for some kids out there because they have taken this opportunity um, and representation really, really matters. Absolutely. Thank you, British Vogue. It is such a beautiful image. And plus, like, just that they're all wearing black. They are Mm -hmm. all dark skin. And we, Mm -hmm. I don't think we've had the colorism conversation yet (laughs) in depth here on the podcast. But that's something that we, the three of us, have talked about frequently. To see, like, these, all of these beautiful dark skin people just moisturized to the gods like just (laughs) (laughs) looking just like just so regal and fabulous it was it stopped me in my tracks it really did and i think um i probably should also acknowledge edward ineffel who is the Mm -hmm. editor-in-chief of british vogue he is Ghanaian, um and i think that his leadership right is written all over that cover and you know i'm just really really taken by all of it so yeah yeah i think it's just incredible like and i also can't wait to like just see more of that just embedded mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. fashion um in general because just like look see see what happens see, mm-hmm. see the see the beautiful images we got um i also want to shout out the photographer his name is rafael Pavarotti. Um, oh. If you look up his other work, um, he just features a lot of really like deeply dark skin models mm. in just really gorgeous photos and, you know, like different creative ways too. like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, and just like really highlighting their their skin like not (laughs) not exoticizing but also like not ignoring it and acting like it doesn't matter you know like i i think that's that's beautiful um to have uh people more people seeing us in that way um so yeah shout out to him absolutely i wonder if he's any relation to luciano I, I was wondering that too. <laughs> one of our people wants to swing by the podcast. <laughs> he does uh, appear to be of color. Uh, oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> I oh, do not yeah. know how he identifies, but. <laughs> well, Paige, what's well, your pure black joy? Mine is uh, the new. Uh, ABC comedy, uh, Abbott Elementary. Yeah. <laughs> Abbott <laughs> Elementary is a gem, and I am so glad it is now in my life. <laughs> First of all, a few reasons why I love it. One, the creator, Quinta Brunson, she has, I have watched her go from like a funny internet meme, a funny internet video. It's like her joking about like, being a girl who's never like dated a man with money before and <laughs> it's things like they're on a date at the theater and he orders like a large popcorn and a large drink and a candy bar and he's like oh you got money and she's like telling her friends girl he got money girl, he got money for real and like that just blew up all over the internet and like from then she's had opportunity other opportunities to write and 
you know, making her own memes and stuff. And so I'm just so happy to see her have this opportunity to not only star in the show, she stars in the show and writes it. Yes. She wrote it. She wrote wow. it. She, um, yeah, she came up with the concept and everything. So yay, Black Excellent. Shout out to Quinta. Yeah, Miss Quinta. I've I also remember. enjoyed her mm-hmm. memeing. She's a funny, funny woman. I remember when she was at BuzzFeed and she did all the BuzzFeed videos and they were always super funny. Yeah, exactly. I also love the show because it's one of those workplace documentary kind of of style things like The Office or Parks and Rec, but like a lot blacker. And so that's just right up my alley. And then the third thing that I just really love is the comedy with the truth. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, it speaks a lot to the disinvestment in education in our country and like what educators and school administrators and students and parents are, are, are going through, um, uh, especially in schools with lots of kids of color. Um, yeah. So I just appreciate that she's speaking the truth to that, but in a funny, humorous way. Like I've truly enjoyed watching it and I hope there's many more seasons to come. And oh, I'm sure I, there will be. Am I correct that um, great Jamaican-American actress Cheryl Lee Ralph is yes. also in the cast? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Um, Cheryl Lee Ralph Stan, if she's doing a thing, then I'm watching that thing. So I will certainly be tuning into this because it sounds pretty awesome. It's incredible. Her character is so funny and (laughs) (laughs) also just true to like that elder, like black woman on your Mm -hmm. job you look up to and has kind of seen it all. well i meant to watch it last night because we were we were talking about this yesterday and i want but i so i went to hulu and then i'm currently in the middle of a real housewives of atlanta rewatch i got got caught up in that (laughs) which i i don't know i guess that's my pure black joy (laughs) but i'm on the season with kim fields Oh yeah, that was that was a wild one. That was yeah, a really wild one. And I forgot how sort of prim and proper she was, uh-huh. and how she was having none of it, <laughs> and how mean Kenya was. Like yeah. Kenya is so mean. <laughs> yeah. My God. <laughs> but I guess shout out to Kim Fields. I hope she's doing better. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I can't imagine that experience was. She looked like she was never having any fun. Any there fun. So many times that the look on her face was, I am going to wring my agent's neck when I get my hands on him because... <laughs> like they went to on the girls trip to Miami and she just goes out the re- goes outside the restaurant and just starts crying. <laughs> and she's like, this isn't me. <laughs> it's like, oh man, go back to your children. Yeah. Go back to church on Sunday. This is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you haven't watched Real House of Atlanta, if you're one of those people that's like, oh, I watch OC and Salt Lake City, but I've never seen Atlanta or Potomac. Like, get on it. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies from Potomac appeared on um, Project Runway. Last yes, week. they did. They yeah. did. Dr. Wendy Creed Dr. Wendy. No. Like, come on. Come on, Wendy. It's on it's on tape. These conversations <laughs> were being filmed. 
<laughs> How dare you make oh that lady cry? I, I mean, had had the girl out there worried for her place in the competition. Like, and then yeah. sitting there in the workroom after the judging, like, well, I kept my mouth shut. I could... <laughs> like, no, first of all, no, you didn't. Second of all, she asked you directly, do you mind if I make you some pants? And you were like, whatever you want to do. We all <laughs> saw it. We all heard it. it. I mean, it was it was astounding. And it was so interesting that it wasn't Giselle creating confusion. Exactly. And she was it, so well behaved on that episode. It made, it made me soften towards Giselle because, you know, I'm team Karen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I don't even have a reason for being Team Giselle. Maybe it's the pink connection. I don't. I don't know. I just Giselle reminds me of literally every girl I grew up with. Maybe yes. that's what that is. I would agree with that. But I mean, the grand dame is just the grand dame. She she certainly is, and she looked great. She, <laughs> she looked she fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, check out that episode of Project Runway because that was a good mm-hmm. one. And yeah, like, was a good one. who's thinking about Project One Way in 2022? I was like, <laughs> come on, relevance. <laughs> <laughs> I was just in here counting how long it's been since I watched Project One Way. It's, it's very <laughs> it's different now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> With Christian Siriano instead of Tim Gunn, and there's no host. No host. Just oh. the judges are just like sitting in their chair, like, welcome to the runway, like screaming across the runway at the contestants. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's very low budget. But but that was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. But I think this is a good spot to leave this. I hope you all enjoyed part one of our blown extravaganza. I, we should think of a better name for next week <laughs> <laughs> for part two. Um, but next week, we will have more amazing guests to talk about the life and music of Joseph Ballone. I hope you will enjoy. Uh, I hope you will join us for that. And meanwhile, um, you know, as you are enjoying this beautiful week, perhaps at some point you might feel the urge to help us out by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or five stars. Five. Five. The number Uh, after four. Before six. (laughs) There we go. And after four. Five. I'm not playing with y'all. (laughs) Um, but also subscribe on your favorite uh podcast platform of choice and share us with your your friends and the email is up and running i promise (laughs) the score at mnopera.org um please um send us anything thoughts feelings concerns questions um we want to hear from all of you and I think that's it. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. I think we got it all. Okay. Well, then I guess we'll see you in uh, two weeks for Woo-hoo! part two. Joseph Malone. See you then. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our wonderful guests. Amazing guests. <laughs> Bye. Bye.